Amen. All right. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to 1 Peter. All right. 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we'll be. 1 Peter chapter 3 as we continue our study through this book of the Bible. And we'll finish up our message we began last Sunday. But as you're finding your place there in 1 Peter chapter 3, just want to remind you once again the main reason, one of the main purposes at least, of Peter writing these epistles and writing these letters. Remember, he's writing for this main purpose, to strengthen the brethren, just as Jesus told him to do in Luke twenty-two thirty-two. When Jesus looks at him eyeball to eyeball and says, Peter, when thou art converted, converted there, meaning when you come back, basically when you get right with God, Peter, I want you to strengthen the brethren. And so Peter is doing just that, no doubt, with these epistles. Because listen, with uh, our all-wise God and the wisdom that he has and the foreknowledge and foresight that he has, he knew that one day these believers are going to need what Peter has to say. And they're going to need a lot of strength. Why? Because the things that they were going to endure, the things that they were going to face, the persecution, the suffering, the being being hauled off to prison, being tortured, and yes, even be put to death. Listen, all these believers in the first century were really going through great uh, turmoil at this time. So Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sits down and pens these words from 1 Peter and 2 Peter to strengthen the brethren and to give them great hope, hope for the fiery trials that is trying them, Hope for the pain they're enduring and really just hope for the very next day. But this hope that we've been talking about and trying to emphasize as we consider Peter and as we consider 1 Peter, remember that hope that we're trying to emphasize is not just some kind of wishful thinking. It's not a, um, I'm going to cross my fingers here and I'm going to cast a coin in the wishing well and hope all this really works out. That's not hope. That's just wishful thinking. Rather, the true hope that we have as believers and the true hope that God gives and the true hope that the Bible gives us is a confident assurance that is based upon the promises and person of God Himself. That is real biblical hope. And these believers needed it. And guess what we do too? And so we find that strength and we find that hope in the Word of the living God. And so if you need strength today... Strengthen your soul, strengthen your spirit. You need some hope today for the, for the uh, trouble you may be facing and going through. You want to find it in the Word of God. That's what Peter's doing, trying to strengthen the brethren, all right? So keep that in mind every time you come to the book of 1 Peter because I want to remember that, all right, of that main reason. So but as we come back to our text this morning, be reminded that Peter is continuing his emphasis on this emphasis of submission. And I get it. When we hear that word submit or submission, uh, we can be um, tempted to turn off our ears and tune out our hearts to what the Bible is beginning to teach us and to tell us why. Because submission goes against the very fiber of our fallen, sinful nature. And in our pride, we want to do our own thing and do it our own way, all apart from God, But understand something, this was never the intention, nor plan, nor will of the Lord for us. 
It was never his intention for us to operate outside of him, to operate outside of his leading or operate outside of his word. And listen, any time we do, any time we do, we will fail. I like what um, one preacher said many years ago. I heard him say it and I wrote it down. didn't want to forget it. But he said this. He said, any time when it comes to operating outside of God's will or outside of God's word, now listen, we must do one of two things. We must fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. <laughs> I understand what he's saying. You see, it's a very miserable thing to operate outside of God's word and will for our lives, especially as a child of God. And even Peter understood that truth for even many occasions. You can see him when he failed to submit to God. He'd find himself a failure in those instances. So as we continue on this subject of submission, though, I want to encourage you once again to just simply put aside your pride, to come close to your Bible, open your heart and mind to what God has to say, and be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, as James tells us in James 1 and verse 22. So let's continue on, okay, in this matter of submission. And as we do, remember so far we've seen the importance of submission as a citizen. We've seen the importance of submission as a servant. And then last time we began looking at this title when it comes to submission, the importance of submission as a spouse. All right? So let's get back to it. Look at it with me in 1 Peter chapter 3. And we'll start in verse number 1 again and we'll go down through verse number 7. But verse number 7 is where we're pretty much going to park for today. Okay? Verse number 1 says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also, they may, I'm sorry, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair or of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Verse number 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. Our fathers, we come back to your word this morning. I pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to it. And especially this, this morning as we consider the subject of submission as a spouse and we look at the spouse of the husband, I pray that you'd help us as men to be the leaders, loving leaders of our home, of our churches, of our community. God, help us, I pray, to be godly men. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the first thing we saw is just a quick recap of, of uh, last Sunday's message. The first thing we took note of when it came to this text was this one. Number one, we took note of the submission of the wife. Now, again, keep in mind, all right, when we speak of the submission of a wife here, we're not saying that as a wife you are to obey every will and command of your husband, all right? We are not suggesting that uh, you are to allow your husband to treat you like some religious doormat all 
in the name of Jesus, of course, all right? We are not suggesting that at all. Rather, when the Holy Spirit moves Peter to write these words and say, wise men subjection to your own husbands, he is writing with the understanding that some of these ladies that have recently gotten saved, uh, they have recently been born again and their lives have been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And no doubt with this uh, new life they've had and found in Christ came with it new desires, even new desires for their family to come to know Jesus as well, especially their husbands to come to know the Lord as their Savior. But what was going to point their husbands to Jesus? Uh, what was going to win their husbands to the Lord? What was going to make um, Jesus attractive, if I can say it that way? Uh, what was going to make Jesus attractive to their husbands? Well, Peter makes it plain how they can point their husbands, how they can win their husbands to Jesus. And it wasn't the outward, or outward appearance of the wife that would necessarily point their husbands to Jesus. After all, this was the uh, culture of the day. The Roman culture of the day was consumed by only what they looked like externally and by what they wore, how they put their hair up and, 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 and all the jewelry, all that stuff. They were consumed by that. But listen, that was not the emphasis. Because understand, anyone can change their clothing. Anyone can get a new hairdo. Except for some of you fellas. <laughs> for some of you fellas, it's no longer a hairdo, it's a hair done. Meaning it's done gone, okay. But anyway. But anybody can get new clothes and anybody can get a new hairdo mostly. But anybody can change on the outside. But listen, only the Lord can change the inside. Only the Lord can change the heart of a person. And so that's what he's emphasizing. The emphasis here on this text primarily was this, to beautify the inside. So again, just be quickly reminded, instead of being so consumed with the external appearance only, I mean, it does, that doesn't mean you don't care about that, because you do, just not the main emphasis. But Peter rather is saying, encouraging these Christian wives to devote themselves to beautifying that hidden man in the heart. And instead of being characterized by the fleeting fashions of the culture of that day, Peter says, he encourages them to do this, to adorn themselves with the lovely and beauty, loveliness and beauty of godliness. So that's kind of the, su the summary of it, of that, first, of that first point, especially in the context of trying to win their unbelieving husband to the Lord with a humble submission coupled with a godly demeanor that would reflect the inner beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what points your husband to Jesus. So, as we continue again, submission as a spouse, I want to come to this point, number two, the consideration of the husband. Point number one, submission of the wife. Point number two, consideration of the husband. Again, look at verse number seven. Likewise, your husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being to heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, as we look at this point, I want you to understand that Peter, again, he's not writing to the unsaved husbands that the wives are trying to win to Jesus. Rather, Peter is writing to believing husbands. He is writing to Christian husbands, saved men. Because you've got to understand something. You, we cannot instruct a man who does not know Jesus on the importance of being a godly husband, all right? Especially if he doesn't know the Lord. You can't do that. 
The Bible's plain when it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You see, during this Roman culture, if you were trying to instruct a man when it comes to godly character and how to treat his wife godly, if you're trying to instruct a lost man that way, he's going to look at you and say, Man, that is foolish. That's just plain dumb. It's foolishness. So he's writing, keep in mind, understand, he's writing to saved men and instructing them how they should treat their wives, all right? So for the next little bit we have together, let's look at this, and let's beat up on the men a little bit, all right? I told you last week, I gave you fair warning. I gave you a week's warning, guys, that I'm a little bit harder on the fellas than I am the ladies, okay? So you had fair warning, okay? But you came back anyway, and I appreciate that. That's great. But let's look at what the Bible says concerning the consideration of the husband. The first instruction we see is this. Number one, he instructs them physically. Again, look at verse number seven. The Bible says this, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them. Now understand, men, this means more than just sharing the same address as your wife. Okay, It means more than just living in the same house. No, it goes much further than that. You see, this phrase would indicate a couple of different aspects of the, the marriage relationship. Number one, it would indicate this. Number one, it does indicate an intimate relationship. Now, when I say this, some of you may be thinking, is pastor talking about what I think he's talking about? Yes, all right, he is. And uh, Pastor Peter here is talking about that as, as well. He is talking about the physical relationship of marriage, the physical union between husband and wife. Listen, Peter is telling the husbands to be with their own wives. Why? Again, historical context is very important to keep in, keep in mind. Understand at this time during the Roman ruled era, the plurality of partners was considered a normal thing. So being with someone other than your wife was not an uncommon thing during this time. It was not looked down upon. You see, when you have a, uh, your, your culture is absolutely just infiltrated with false gods and false ideology, you will have that kind of thinking. You see, one of the false gods or goddesses really uh, that they had was by the name of Aphrodite. And this was the, one of the most predominant deities within the Roman culture of this day. And when you live for a false god such as Aphrodite, understand, you will live a life of uh, promiscuity. You will live a life of immorality. Of course, all outside of the bonds of marriage. And that would be considered normal. You see, Aphrodite was a goddess of fertility and sensuality. A goddess of erotic and sensual Love And there were multiple temples built in her honor throughout the Roman territories at this time. And it would be considered an act of worship to commit such acts of loose immorality within her pagan temples of the day. So understand, loose immoral behavior outside of marriage would have been normal for the culture of the day. But understand something. It was never meant to be normal for the Christian. Making sure you guys are listening, all right? Whew. If you think it's nervous to hear this message, why don't you try preaching it, all right? It might have been normal for the culture. It was not normal for the Christian. It was never meant to be normal. No, 
Listen, intimacy was created by God. It was meant to be enjoyed between the man, one man and one woman within the bounds of marriage. And that's why when I tell people who in premarital counseling, when I say, listen, God does not keep you from intimacy. He keeps it for you, you see. It is between husband and wife. And even Paul would write on these matters in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 1 through 4. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. So understand something. We'll come back to our text this morning. When Peter says dwell with them, he is indicating an intimate relationship with your spouse and husbands that is with your wife only. Wives, that is with your husband only. But this phrase goes beyond just that physical part of things. It also gives this indication. It gives a great indication of time, you see. You see, the husband must take time to be home with his wife. We husbands must take time to be in the presence, on purpose, be in the presence of our wives, to talk with them. And buckle up, listen to them. <laughs> Women, where you at? Come on now, help me out here. Amen. Okay. <laughs> and listen to them, all right? I'm going to give you some free advice, fellas. When, you're, um, when your wife speaks to you, um, look at her and put your phone down. That'll help, okay? Look at her in the eyes. Put your phone down because that tells, the, tells your wife that you value her. You value her opinion. You value her time and, of course, so much more. And when she does speak, you listen. And you, you, we listen more than just with our ears, we listen with our eyes. You can go stuff like this. You can say, oh, really? Wow. Now, you know what I'm talking about too. But you listen. And maybe, maybe here's some more free advice. I'm, all, I'm, I'm, all, I'm just full of free advice this morning, okay? Here's some more. When, when your wife is speaking and you are listening, not with just your ears, with your eyes and everything else, you're listening, and maybe she brings up an issue or a problem, problem with family member, problem with work, or whatever it may be, she's not asking for an answer. Notice everyone laughing as women, all right? She's not asking for an answer. You see, we men, most of us are problem solvers. When we hear a problem, guess what we want to do? We want to solve it, all right? We want to fix it. But when they're talking about a problem, they've already got it fixed. They've had it fixed. It's been fixed before they talk to you, okay? They just want to let you know and inform you. So instead of listening to try to solve a problem, you just listen and nod your head and say, oh, that's, that's interesting. It's great. And listen. Now, I will tell you this, ladies. If you do want to talk to your husband about an issue or a problem or whatever it may be, can you lead with that? Can you lead with saying, now, I don't want you to solve this or fix this. I just want to tell you. Because when you start a conversation to us men who have the, um, 
wanting to fix type of mentality and attitude. And when you start a conversation that way, that takes all the pressure off of us, all right? And we can listen much easier, and we'll give you a big old thumbs up, okay? So please uh, do that. But what all I'm saying is this, all right? Is we as, as husbands and wives, we need to be better communicators. We just need to spend time and talk better one with another. I read a survey recently that was given to married couples. And within that survey, they, they asked the, the couples, they asked the married couples, how often do you speak with your spouse? How often do you guys communicate? And then that survey revealed that the average husband and wife spend 37 minutes every day, every couple of days. No. 37 minutes a week in actual communication. Is there any wonder that marriages fall apart after the children are grown and moved out of the house? Because when they find that it's just mom and dad and they find just husband and wife, husband and wife found out that they're now living with a stranger. Husbands, we got to do better. We must dwell with them. We must spend time with them. We must talk with our wives. We must communicate better with our wives. We must be with them. We must be present. We must be home. I want to encourage you men to try your best to disconnect from the distractions when you get home. Try. I know it can be hard because... The, the, especially when, you, when, you, when, when you're working and, and work demands are, are quite, uh, quite strenuous on you. I get it. It can be hard to disconnect from that because a lot of times for the man, the work is the extension of the man. And if things are going great at work, then things are going great in his life, even though they may be falling apart at home, right? I get that. But try your best to disconnect when you're home and just dwell with them. Just be home and be present. And I'm preaching to myself. We must do better. I uh, heard a quote, I saw it, and I heard somebody else say it too. But the quote goes like this, the only people who will ever remember you working overtime all the time will be your wife and children. Be home. When you're home, be present. Dwell with them. So number one, there is a physical element. Number two, there is this. There is an intellectual element as well. Look at verse 7 again. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them. Here it is. According to knowledge. Let me ask you this question. Raise your hand. Have you ever heard the saying, ignorance is bliss? Anybody ever heard that? Oh, yeah. Pretty much everybody's heard that phrase, ignorance is bliss. All right. And I understand that this is an idiom uh, trying to describe a person who does not know about a problem and therefore does not worry about the problem. All right, I understand that's what they're trying to, to get at. But understand this, uh, that phrase will not work in the context of marriage. All right, And it is quite, listen, dangerous. You cannot be ignorant. You cannot be ignorant in your marriage. You cannot be ignorant concerning your wife. Because if you are, men, listen, as husbands, if we are ignorant concerning our marriage, if we are ignorant concerning our, our wife, 
then I'm going to be quite blunt with you this morning. That's just plain stupid and lazy. We must dwell with them according to knowledge. What does this mean? This means you need to, we need to learn our wives. You need to learn your wife. Learn her moods. Learn her feelings. And depending on which mood she may be in, depends on which food you give her. Okay? But anyways, if it's a really bad one, just retreat and throw chocolate. All right? No. It's a joke. I'm just kidding. Okay? But learn her moods. Learn how she's feeling. Learn her needs. Learn her fears. Learn her hopes. Learn her goals. Learn her love language. You say, what? Love language? What is that? Well, this means how she receives love and how she feels loved most by you. And quickly, there's five of them. You're going to write them down. And I hope some of you men are starting to write some of these things down. All right? You know why? Because your wives are watching. Anyways, trying to help you. Five love languages. All right? Number one, words of affirmation. Meaning what? Meaning we should use the words that would build her up. Words that would give her value, saying, you know, you're just so pretty in that nice dress. I love what you have done with your hair. Words of affirmation. Another one's quality time, meaning you just be with her, be present with her, sit down and watch <clears throat> that Hallmark movie, all right? <laughs> just be with her. Another one is receiving gifts. Now, this is not just for her birthday or Christmas, but randomly. Uh, get her some nice flowers. Give her some money so she can go get a pedicure, a manicure, whatever. Just be kind and giving gifts. Maybe that's how she feels love. Or acts of service, meaning this. Acts of service, meaning, why don't you do the laundry one time? Why don't you get in the kitchen and wash the dishes? Why don't you pick up your own nasty underwear? <laughs> acts of service. Or physical touch. Hold her hand. Give her a hug, snuggle with her, whatever. Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. You need to know her. You need to know how she feels loved. And by the way, this is for the men too. These five love languages work for the men. So women, wives, learn how your man feels loved by you. But of course, in the context, we're, we're looking at the men, as Peter says, husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. All right? So... Fellas, before we go to our next point, I want to encourage you with this admonition. Before we leave this second point of, of an intellectual aspect, don't be stupid. Learn your wife. Put that on a t-shirt, all right? Anyway. Number three, what's another aspect we can see as Peter is telling the husbands to dwell with them according to knowledge? Well, he says this, he says this way, Verse number seven, husbands dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. So number three, we see this one. We see an emotional aspect of this. Now, just as a side note here, uh, before we go any, any further, when we see this in verse seven, when it says, uh, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, when we see the weaker vessel here, he is not suggesting that the wife is weaker mentally or weaker morally or weaker spiritually. Rather, he is indicating that the wife will be weaker physically, okay? Question. Husbands, if you were to have a bench-pressing competition just between you and your wife, who's going to win? Now, I understand there, there are some, I understand there are some exceptions, but 
for the majority, who's going to win? It's okay, guys. You can say, I'm going to win. It's okay. Of course you will. All right. The men, when you have, when you have a physical strength competition, the majority, vast majority of the time, well, the men, the husband's going to win in, in that competition. So that's what it's referring to here. And the Bible speaks as a wife, as a weaker vessel. It's just weaker in physically strength type of way. But that's good for us men to know. And be reminded of. You say, I already knew that. Okay. Well, are you reminded of it, especially in the context which Peter is writing this? Because when Peter says this, it should direct us husbands and men how, listen to me, how we treat our wife and how we treat her as the weaker vessel. I need some men this morning, some volunteers, all right? Need some men who are very strong and who have a good insurance policy. Kenny, good. All right, great. Come on up, Kenny. Ben, fantastic. Man, I'm glad you guys raised your hand so quickly. And uh, no, they did not volunteer. They got voluntold. All right, but anyways. But come on up here, fellas. I want to illustrate, try to illustrate this. It'll help us, okay, especially help us men. All right? Um, ben, you're good at swinging a hammer, right? Yes? Okay, work construction. How do you hold a hammer? Very good. All right, stand over here, okay? Now, Kenny, this vase was, it is recycled glass made in Mexico. You know what that means? It's very important. And it's like $1,000. If you break it, you got to pay for it. Church ain't paying for that, Okay. So would you please demonstrate how you hold this vase, knowing its value? <laughs> okay, so you're going you're to hold on to it very securely. You want to you take care of it, wrap it up in your jacket, okay? You're going you're to do this. Here's what you're doing, all right? Whether you realize it or not, here's what he's doing. He is honoring that vessel. You see, he's holding a hammer. It's a hammer. It's made to be beat. This is like, man, just tough and strong and swing a hammer and hit stuff. You know, that's what we do. We, no, don't hit nothing. Don't, don't hit nothing, okay? But anyway, but uh, it, it's, it's strong. But this over here, you drop it. It's going to break. So you have to honor a little bit more. You got to be more tender with it. Take more care with it. Because it's more valuable, you see. That's what Peter's getting at when he says... Consider your wife as the weaker vessel, not weak as in just weak, whatever, get rid of it. No, no, no. As in the value, it is more valuable. Like you would protect it and and cherish that vessel. That's what he's getting at. Thank you, fellas. Please be careful of that. And it's only like two bucks, but it's okay. All right? But that's what he's getting at. And so, listen, we know that we as men are responsible for something that is and should be of great value to us. And when men know that they're responsible, even in the case of this vase, that's something more fragile, we should take more care of it and be more careful with it. We should give it great respect because of the value that it holds. 
Again, look at verse number 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel. Give it great care and respect and value. So men, that's what we are to do with our wives. Respect their value and honor them. Now again, giving honor unto the wife does not mean giving into the wife. You see, the husband can disagree with his wife and still respect and honor her. And even as the leader of the home, the husband must sometimes make decisions that are not exactly popular, but he must do so with courtesy and respect, valuing his wife, valuing her feelings, her emotions, her thinking, her reasoning, her desires, and of course so much more. Dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel. Look at it again with me, verse number 7, as we continue on. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So the last aspect is this, a spiritual aspect. Listen, as Christian men, as Christian husbands, fellas, listen. We should lead our families spiritually. You see, all of this churchy stuff <laughs> all this bible stuff all this spiritual stuff all this serving stuff at the church I ain't just for the women and children it's for real men it's for men of God it's for men who want to serve God with their life it's for men who want to do what's right and lead their families spiritually. And we should be those type of men to lead our families to church faithfully, to lead our families to serve habitually, to lead our families to pray continually. We should be the ones leading that charge, and leading our homes spiritually. But sadly, too many men, too many Believer, believing men, Christian men are failing in this area of life and leading our homes spiritually. The U.S. Congregation, uh, U.S. Congregational Life Survey revealed that an average American congregation is roughly 61% female and 39% male. Another survey revealed that families are 90% more likely to attend church if the man of the household attends. 90% more likely. That tells me that as men, we need to do a better job of leading our homes. And men, we must be loving leaders, loving our wives as we should and leading our homes as we should. And so that's why I keep saying we need loving leaders in our churches, and our communities, and our countries today and lead our families to Jesus. You say, okay, preacher, I hear you. <laughs> but why should I? Why should I as a wife be gentle and submissive and uh, showing a godly disposition to my husband? Why should I do that? And as a husband, why should I be loving and why should I be caring and honoring and all that stuff you said earlier towards my wife? Well, for this primary purpose, 
Number three, main point, and lastly, quickly. Because of the imitation of Christ. You have the submission of the wife. You have the consideration of the husband. But look at the imitation of Christ. And I say the imitation of Christ here in verses 1 through 7 because of a very overlooked word found in verse 1 and in verse number 7. And ladies, look at verse number 1 with me. And on count of three, I want you to, want you to tell me the first word of verse number 1. All right? Ladies, you find it? You ready? On count of three, tell me what it is. One, two, three. All right? Men, look at verse number 7. And tell me what the first word is in verse number 7 on the count of three. You ready, men? One, two, three. Likewise. What in the world does likewise mean? Well, it means this. It means equally. Or in the same manner. Or in the same way, likewise. Peter here is saying in verse number 1, likewise, or in the same way, wise, be subjection to your own husbands. And then he says it again in verse number 7, Likewise, or in the same way, husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. But who is he pointing back to? Who is he referring to? Who is he telling us to be subject like or be in submission like or to be in consideration like? Well, Peter is not pointing to another spouse within this faith community that he's writing to. He's not pointing to another family. He's not comparing submission from one, one wife to another wife. He is not comparing our loving consideration to another believer's loving consideration or lack thereof. He is not comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. He is pointing back to this. Look in your Bible with me. Go back a page. In mine it is at least a page. Chapter number 2. He's pointing back to this. And look at verse number 21. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, look at it, leaving us an example. You should follow it in steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself unto him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. You're as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And he jumps into chapter 3, likewise ye wives. You see, the chapter and verse divisions of our Bible are not inspired like the words are inspired. But I am thankful for the chapter and verse divisions because if we, weren't, uh, we didn't have them, then you'd probably still be looking for 1 Peter chapter 3, okay? But understand, they go together. This letter was not written with chapters and verses necessarily like this, but it's written as a letter, and he's continuing this thought, and he says, likewise. Pointing back to Jesus as he addresses the wives, and he says, likewise again. Pointing back to Jesus as he addresses the husbands. And he's telling them both, telling us both, be more like Jesus. Imitate Christ. You know, I've heard it said that imitation is the highest form of flattery. But sadly, in our day and age, too many times people are imitating lesser things, not imitating their Savior. But I want to encourage you to imitate the Lord Jesus Christ in your home as a spouse. And you will find that your marriage relationship will begin to change for the good 
and even flourish, you see. It will. As we imitate the Lord Jesus in our lives. So these are just a few instructions on the matter of marriage. And as we see them and consider them, we'll do one of two things. We will either submit ourselves to the authority of God's word and what it says under the lordship of Jesus Christ or we will continue in our own reasoning and thinking. Which by the way, we know many people in scripture tried to do and they failed miserably, including Peter himself. But there's one of two choices. We boil it all down. I'm that kind of fellow. Just, just give me the bottom line. Boil it all down for me. Well, boil it all down. Here it is. Are you going to do what the Bible says or you ain't? That's it. That's it. So when it comes to this, as Peter is writing to the wives and writing to the husbands, here's our instruction. But what will you do with that instruction? 